have a Super Bowl matchup. We'll talk about the conference championship games as well as UFC 257 on today's edition of the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. When you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, at checkout for 15% off your online order. Again, easy and safe pickup. If you're unfamiliar with these products and how they can benefit your daily life, don't hesitate to give them a call. 405-458-9699. But again, Colby Show at checkout, abotanicalcompany.com for 15% off your online order. So we have our Super Bowl 55 matchup set. It is the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Chiefs open as three and a half point favorites over the Bucs. Uh, and we'll review the championship games in a moment. But uh, this is a great Super Bowl. I love the fact that it is Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, the most accomplished quarterback of all time, versus Patrick Mahomes, maybe the most skilled quarterback of all time. Uh, these two guys getting that opportunity to go head-to-head. The fact that these are the last two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. Uh, Brady beat Mahomes two years ago in the AFC Championship, that, that infamous overtime game where the Chiefs didn't get the opportunity to possess the football. By the way, can we change the overtime rule before this game starts? Um, you know, I, if, if this thing goes to overtime, I want both quarterbacks to have that opportunity to score. If, you know, if the other one gets the ball first, I want Brady or Mahomes to have the opportunity to match. But uh, look, this is a great matchup. Again, old school, new school, uh, the old guard, the new guard, the greatest of all time versus a guy that certainly, if things continue to to progress the way they have to this point, will have a chance to be in that same breath. So great Super Bowl matchup. Chiefs three and a half point favorites. I think the over-under is set at 57 and look, this is a game that already took place once this year. Back on November 29th, uh, it was the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers falling in a hole early to the Kansas City Chiefs. It, the score, I believe, was 27-10 going into the fourth quarter. Uh, it was a game where Kansas City scored early. They led 17-0 after the first. They were pretty much in control the whole way. A couple of fourth quarter touchdowns really made the game closer than it should have been. Obviously, Tampa had a chance uh, to pull it out in the fourth quarter, and Kansas City holds on. Again, 27-24 football game. But, uh, yeah, I I can't wait to see this matchup again, and and it should be a lot of fun. So, great Super Bowl matchup. If I'm being honest, the matchup I wanted to see most was Green Bay, Kansas City. Uh, And simply because I think when you look at what Aaron Rodgers did this season, to see him match up against Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the field was what I wanted to see. But this is is number two, without a doubt, uh, of the four possible scenarios uh, to see Brady and Mahomes go head-to-head is, is also outstanding. So I'm, I'm excited about the Super Bowl matchup. I'm excited about the two teams and uh, certainly excited about what we're going to see in the game and the fact that we had a close game the first time around is a lot of fun. Let's start with the NFC Championship game, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I, I had Green Bay winning this. I, I felt like they were just a little bit more complete as as a football team. And then obviously, at this stage in their careers, give me Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady. Uh, you know, credit Tampa Bay and especially that defense for how well they played, uh, especially in the fourth quarter when Green Bay was able to climb back into the game and had an opportunity to take the lead multiple times after Tom Brady mistakes. Um, this was This was a great... And bizarre game all kind of rolled into one. I think the expectation for all of us was Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, potentially for the last time on a big stage going head-to-head. You know, they're both still at a a pretty high level. Uh, Obviously, Brady's nowhere near the same level that that he once was, but, but, you know, nothing taken away from the guy. Still um, a, a really good quarterback in the NFL. But, yeah, I like, I, I was, uh, I was just hoping to see Brady and Rodgers just trade punches, essentially. And that's what we got for the majority of the first half. Like, anybody watching that game, I think, in the first half was absolutely loving what what they were seeing. I mean, it was big plays being made by both guys, and both guys, you know, just just doing what makes them special. I mean, there was a, there was a play where Tom Brady is, is under pressure, and he steps up in the pocket and moves the safety with his eyes and then throws the ball to the other hash and... Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers on the long touchdown pass to Valdez Scantling shows, you know, the arm ability that makes him special. 
it was awesome to just watch those guys go back and forth throughout the first half. And then we got our first bit of controversy, obviously, toward the end of the first half with the Sean Murphy bunting interception. One of those plays that was obviously a penalty and a great play at the same time, like a flag should have been thrown. The, the interception should not have withstood. Uh, and, and look, I, I think when you talk about the, the play itself, I mean, it, it was a great play after the penalty was committed. So um, I, I saw the question being asked, was it a penalty or was it a great play? I think both are true, but the fact that it was a penalty, the great play shouldn't have happened, but it did, and Tampa Bay got the ball, and, and Green Bay should have responded in a, in a much better way than they did. They give up the fourth down conversion, obviously. The long pass to Scotty Miller for the touchdown was a huge play. I think when you... When the dust settles and you look back on this game and, you know, how many different things could have changed the outcome, this to me is is one of the biggest sequences in the game. Obviously, a penalty should have been thrown, a flag should have been thrown on the interception. Massive fourth down letdown by, by the defense. So the penalty aside, if the defense gets a stop on fourth down, we're not talking about the situation. If the defense does... Anything differently, maybe, we're not talking about this. And and maybe it's a Green Bay win. I mean, it, to give up that touchdown in that situation, I think, is as unfor- unforgivable a situation as there can be. Like, if, if you are a Packers fan, you have every right to be livid with how that play happened, not only with the coaching staff, but with the players. I, I don't know what the hell was going on there, but uh, just a... Uh, complete bozo play by Green Bay to give up the long touchdown to Scotty Miller. And then look, it was one of those situations, I think, going into the third quarter where I felt like Aaron Rodgers was good enough to bring them out of the hole. I just didn't have a lot of confidence that the Packers defense at that point was going to get enough stops to make that possible. And all of a sudden, you get in this stretch where Tom Brady on three consecutive possessions throws three interceptions. Two of those took place in the fourth quarter. And Green Bay had the ball multiple times in the fourth quarter with the opportunity to take the lead. So, you know, for as much as we can talk about the missed opportunities and the things that didn't happen for Green Bay, um, like the the penalty at the end of the game, they had the opportunities to make plays to win the game, and they failed over and over and over. So um, I, I never like to pinpoint any football game necessarily. I mean, there are obviously exceptions to every rule, but uh, on on one play. Uh, And we'll talk about the penalty at the end in just a moment. But uh, Green Bay had their opportunities. I also, I I think before we kind of get to the the final sequence of the game, I think it's really interesting that Tom Brady coming out of that game is is praised and loved and it's 10 Super Bowl appearances and it's remarkable. The fact that in his first year in the NFC, he's got his team in the Super Bowl, to me, is mind-blowing, and it's all-time great. And and I think more than anything, it's a testament to his leadership and how he demands the best out of his teammates, but also I think he gives his teammates the confidence to believe that they're good enough to win at the highest level. So Tom Brady is is the greatest of all time. There's no disputing that. I do think it's funny, though, that if if that had been anybody else not named Tom Brady and if that had been anybody else that didn't have the reputation that Tom Brady has to go into that second half and have three consecutive drives with interceptions and to blow the lead they blew and basically to not even score another touchdown after that, that first possession of the second half to me that, I mean, if that were Matt Stafford or Matt Ryan or Dak Prescott, or look, even Aaron Rodgers, all of those guys, the narrative's completely different. The narrative is choke job in the second half and saved by the defense. And, you know, it's it, Tom Brady is Tom Brady, and he's the greatest. So, you know, he's earned uh, the right to, to, you know, obviously get the benefit of the doubt. But, man, for as great as he was in the first half, he was equally as bad. And this is what I was talking about with this game being just really weird and great at the same time. Brady was great in the first half. He was terrible in the second half. He ended up going 20 for 36 passing, not just the three consecutive interceptions, but how many balls did he just completely miss, guys? I mean, he was not sharp down the stretch of that game whatsoever. Uh, even the you know the pass interference call at the end, the ball was nowhere near the receiver. Uh, it, I mean, that was another just horrid pass. So uh, it is funny that you know Tom Brady gets it done, and again, I, I, I'm not questioning that he's the GOAT or anything like that. I I absolutely believe he's the greatest of all time. 
I, I am just amused at the fact that he can quarterback this team and play as badly as he did in the second half and basically be saved by the defense, and then he gets all the credit for getting them there. So that's that's all I'm trying to point out. But yeah, again, three straight interceptions. Two of those were fourth quarter interceptions. Green Bay had multiple possessions in the fourth quarter with the chance to take the lead, and that takes us to the final possession where they kick a field goal. First of all, Aaron Rodgers had two snaps in that final sequence where he could have run the ball and potentially run it in. I don't know that he scores a touchdown, guaranteed, but he had two different opportunities where I thought he should have run the ball, it was the better play, and it sets them up in a really good situation either way you go, uh, instead of forcing the ball like he did. So that was kind of the first weird thing about Aaron Rodgers, who's who's you know obviously going to win the MVP this season. But the fact that uh, on two plays in that final sequence, he could have run the ball. He didn't. He, he decided to try and force the ball. And they get to a fourth down situation where LaFleur decides to kick a field goal down eight. You know, I talked about how bad the, uh, the, the long touchdown was at the end of the first half. Maybe this decision is equally as bad, if not worse, because the game's on the line. I mean, you're down by eight with a defense that has looked shaky the entire game and and obviously understanding they got some turnovers but you know part of that was on Tom Brady as well uh but to to take the ball out of your offense's hands your offense is the better unit by the way to take the ball out of your MVP's hands and look at the defense regardless of who's on the other side like this isn't even a Tom Brady thing for me as much as it's a, did you watch the defense for four quarters play and how shaky they looked the entire game? Like I said, they kind of got bailed out on a couple bad throws in the second half, but they weren't playing good. And in my mind, there was no reasonable expectation uh, for them to get a stop. So I don't know why you would have expected, based on everything you had watched to that point, that you were going to kick a field goal and the defense was going to get you the ball back. That was crazy. But again... When you talk about who you want to win you the football game, choosing the defense over Aaron Rodgers to me is, again, completely unforgivable. Um, you know, maybe maybe they get the touchdown, maybe they don't. I would just prefer to have my Hall of Fame quarterback decide the game than a defense that has looked below average the majority of the day. I mean, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, and for a good portion of this season, the Cowboys were on pace to have the worst defense in the history of the NFL. And, and I'm not kidding when I say like there were moments in this game where I felt like the Green Bay defense like I thought I was watching the Dallas defense that's how bad they looked at times so um yeah just just bananas that they would kick a field goal with the game on the line and take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers hands and not not allow him to potentially decide the outcome and again the defense yuck just absolutely mind-blowing that they went that route uh, which takes us to the penalty at the end. I know a lot of people didn't like the call. It was the right call. I think most people believe it was the right call, but the the argument is they hadn't called it all game. Obviously, the Sean Murphy bunting situation in the fir- at the end of the first half is an example of letting them play, not calling a penalty that should have been called, and, and that was a turnover. Uh, so I think there was the idea that uh, when you haven't called it all day, it was a terrible spot to make that call. And I look, I agree with that. All we ask for is, is consistency. If you want to call it tight, that's fine. Call it tight the whole game. If you want to call it loose, that's fine. Call it loose the whole game. That's I, I think most of the time, that's what people have the biggest issue with. Not necessarily what the call is, but does it match up with what you've allowed to happen the entire day? You can't change the rules when the game's on the line. So... Uh, that's that's the part of it that I think is is extremely frustrating for Packers fans and, and football fans in general. Uh, but like I said, it was the right call. Here's the other thing that's kind of crazy. I think I'm pretty sure they called pass interference, which if you call pass interference, to me, that pass looked like it was uncatchable. So if if there's an uncatchable ball, then pass interference doesn't apply to the situation. So again, it was kind of a weird situation where if you call holding, then obviously it's just an automatic first down, and that's the end of it. And, and where the pass was thrown, it doesn't even make a difference. But but they called pass interference, and to me, if like when you when you do that, you have to consider whether the ball whether the ball was catchable. And from the angle they showed, I didn't think it was. So just a completely weird and crazy football game. Again, the first like quarter and a half was as expected and what everybody wanted, and we got 
you know, a stretch there where we got the quarterback duel. And then the second half, everything just got turned on its head. And you have Tom Brady throwing interceptions. And you have Aaron Rodgers leading the comeback and scoring two straight possessions. And then following two interceptions, the Packers go three and out and all of a sudden couldn't move the football. And then you have the field goal at the end and then the penalty at the end. But, uh, I mean, you can say a lot of things about that game. I, I think my final thought on that game is it was entertaining as hell. And, uh, again, th- there wasn't a, a bad outcome in my mind for as far as a Super Bowl matchup in that game. But uh, the uh, the left tackle situation, obviously, for Green Bay was a major issue. Uh, what was, I think, five total sacks in the game for Tampa Bay? JPP and Shaq Barrett are both elite edge rushers in the NFL. So not having arguably the best left tackle in the game, David Bakhtiari, was a big issue for Green Bay. And Billy Turner obviously was having a a hard time on the left side. Uh, You know, Rick Wagner had a hard time on the right side as well, and he's a starter. But Billy Turner obviously was just uh, getting beat really badly. Uh, to, and and look, there was a there was a stretch in the first half where it looked like on on like three consecutive snaps he was jumping early because I think he was so nervous about the pressure and and about uh, being able to protect Rodgers. But I bring that up because obviously the Chiefs situation. Um, when you talk about those two edge rushers for Tampa Bay and how they they were able to dominate uh, Green Bay's offensive line and and tackles and put Aaron Rodgers in some bad situations and pressure him the way they did. Um, you know, that, that obviously is one of the focus points, I think, for the Super Bowl and the matchup against Kansas City. So, you know, the Tampa Bay defense, it, it do, I don't think gets enough credit for how good they are. They they were the MVPs of that game. They were the reason they won. Um, you know, the, the fourth quarter defense was off the charts good to get th- consecutive three and outs following interceptions to uh, obviously not allow Green Bay to score the touchdown. And, and again, you know, LaFleur should have gone for it on fourth. Who knows what would have happened. But to even force the fourth down situation, uh, the, the Tampa defense was really good. And look, when, when that group is healthy, that front seven with obviously Vita Vea and Sue on the line of scrimmage and, and your edge rushers with Shaq Barrett and uh, JPP and then the linebackers with Devin White and Levante David, like that's a nasty group that uh, – you know, really for the, for most of the game was really, really good. Um, you know, the back end is where I think there are question marks and not having the safeties obviously was an issue, but that front seven is, I think, as good as, as maybe any front seven in the NFL. Uh, all right, so that is, that is pretty much it, I think, as far as uh, my takeaways. The PI at the end of the game covered that. Um, the field goal was a complete disaster. The interceptions... Yeah, uh, you know Kevin King. Obviously, there was a there was a tweet last night that showed screenshots of all of the just horrific plays Kevin King made. The the penalty at the end, the uh, touchdown to Mike Evans in the first half, the long touchdown to Scotty Miller at the end of the first half. It was not a good day for Kevin King, but uh, again, just absolutely entertaining game, and and it came down to the end, and both quarterbacks had the ball at the end of the game with the chance to win the game. And we were robbed of one snap. But like I said, Rodgers had multiple opportunities and the Packers had multiple opportunities in the fourth quarter to uh, make a game-winning play. And and they didn't. And Tampa Bay's defense uh, obviously got stops when they absolutely needed to. Which leads us to the AFC Championship game. And, uh, you know, right as that game was starting, I didn't even realize this, but I guess ESPN... That day during their their pregame show or whatever had a graphic where you know it's it's the matchup it's the Chiefs and the Bills it's uh, who has the better head coach and and you know Kansas City I think got that check mark and then it was uh, the better receiver with Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs and the Bills got that check mark and then at the end it was the better quarterback and they gave it to Josh Allen which is just mind blowing to me and look I I had I had heard a few of the hot takes last week with people saying that Josh Allen was as good as Mahomes or better than Mahomes and, you know, all of that nonsense. And and look, from a statistical standpoint, obviously they were close. I think Mahomes had one more touchdown this season than Allen did. I think the passing yardage difference was like 200, maybe approximately like 4,500 yards-ish for Allen, 4,700-ish for, uh, for Mahomes. So, like, statistically, I get it. They were close. But if, if you're really watching football, I don't think there's 
any human being out there that thinks Josh Allen is better than Patrick Mahomes. So there were there were a few you know people last week that had the hot take Josh Allen's the better quarterback in this matchup and you know that's what we do I guess in sports media these days is just try to stand out uh, among our peers and and just be as outlandish as we can possibly be to get a t- attention and you know that's that's not me uh, it works for some people so if I t- if I tell you something and it's outlandish then it's it's because I'm probably like just absolutely believe it with everything I have. Uh, versus, you know, just trying to get attention, which, which I think, uh, again, is just the popular thing to do. But, you know, this idea that Josh Allen had done enough this season to be put on the same tier as a guy that throughout the last 12 months we've talked about being on a trajectory that, that potentially lands him in the same breath as Tom Brady when it's all said and done is crazy to me. So, and, and look, I, I would even say this. It also, I think, is extremely unfair to Josh Allen a guy that a year ago had ups and downs and and certainly was not considered to be one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL to make the improvement he made this season you have to give it up to the guy i thought this year he was a top 5 quarterback he was in the mvp conversation there's no doubt about that but again i think when you just watch him play and you see the the lapses within games the inconsistencies within games to compare that to Patrick Mahomes, who has basically been as consistent as anybody in the NFL since he became a starter, a guy that's already been an MVP, a guy that already has a Super Bowl, a guy that literally every time they play in the postseason just seems to be unstoppable. Um, It's just unfair to Josh Allen because all of a sudden it puts him in this situation where, of no fault of his own, we all watch the game and we're like, well, obviously, Josh Allen is not Patrick Mahomes, and if he doesn't perform on the same level as Patrick Mahomes, then you know he's under that microscope, and he's you know it's it becomes a joke. Uh, so I, I thought it was extremely unfair to Josh Allen, first of all, to even make that comparison. It's extremely unfair to Patrick Mahomes and what he's already accomplished to make that comparison. And uh, again, I just don't know how any reasonable human being would even put that out there. Again, all that said, Josh Allen's a really good player. And, uh, you know, I thought we had great quarterback matchups in these championship games. And, and uh, I, I do, I, Josh Allen's one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think he has a bright future, but he's not Patrick Mahomes. And certainly he's not on that tier. Um, and, and look, we, I think we saw that in the game. Uh, you know, there, Josh Allen is capable of doing some great things. Obviously, his mobility and, and what he can do with his legs is a game changer. Massive arm. I mean, he is, he's Uncle Rico. He can throw the football over a mountain. Uh, but, you know, he has some accuracy issues. He's inconsistent as far as the accuracy goes. He's inconsistent with the decision-making. He, he's just, he's not nearly as polished, I think, as the elite guys. Now, again, from an athletic standpoint, just because of his ability to run and the massive arm, that makes up for a lot of those things. And that's why he's as good as he is. But, you know, there's there's still polish that needs to, t- to happen with Josh Allen's game. And, and you know, like I said, I, I think we saw that. Uh, last night we saw him make some really good plays but we also saw big stretches of inconsistency uh, and and inaccuracy and bad decision making so uh, that's just something that I think every time I've watched Josh Allen at least that shows up in every single game even the ones that he plays really well in it it always feels like there are portions of the game where that's an issue so um, that that to me was just crazy first and foremost and and like I said I saw that ESPN graphic at the beginning of the game on Twitter uh, where they were saying that that the Bills had the quarterback advantage in the matchup, and and immediately I just thought, what a what a complete disaster. Um, as far as the game itself, I thought the Chiefs were going to win. I never had a doubt uh, that that they were going to not get this done. Uh, even when the score was nine to zero, I had zero doubts. Uh, I I did make the joke before the game that um, if if somehow Tom Brady was to avoid Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, I would absolutely believe that he sold his soul. I mean, there's there's just no way any human being can get that lucky. Uh, so I, I made the joke, and then obviously the Bills go up 9-0, to zero and, and I was laughing uh, at the fact that, you know, they got out to the early start, like basically right after I made the joke. But um, again, I, Kansas City, I, I think, is just on another level. That's not to say that the Bills didn't have a chance in this game and that they couldn't have got it done. Um you know, they obviously could have, but I, I just, I mean, it would have taken Kansas City making mistakes, I think, for maybe an entire half going into the third quarter before I would have started to to get nervous about uh, 
about them not pulling it out. By the way, speaking of, of just the start of that game, and this applies to both games, how many drop balls were there yesterday in both football games? It was like, I mean, you're talking about championship games. You're talking about championship teams, the four best teams in the NFL, obviously. And to see the amount of dropped passes and, and the punt, obviously, with, with Hardman, it, it was just, it was crazy. And, and you know, I think somebody pointed out the new championship footballs are oily or something like that. But I, I was just mind blown in both games, how many drops there were by everybody. It was it was such an issue. But, you know, the first possession that Kansas City has, Tyreek Hill on a, on a corner route, I mean, Mahomes puts the ball right in the basket and, uh, and Tyreek Hill drops it and Kansas City has to punt on their first possession. The Hardman punt, obviously. Um, I think Travis Kelsey dropped a pass early in that game on a, on a really easy uh, catch. So the drops were pretty crazy. Um, all right, so so all that said, the Buffalo situation. Buffalo gets the ball first. They march to midfield. They have a fourth and one, and they go for it. And especially after we had just watched Green Bay with the game on the line, kick the field goal on fourth down and not let Aaron Rodgers try to win the game. I, you know, I think that was fresh for all of us and still kind of just feeling the frustration of that call and not giving Aaron Rodgers that opportunity was very fresh. So, when when Buffalo has the first initial opening drive, fourth and one, for them to go for it, I thought was awesome. And and it just showed, you know, what that moment was. And again, putting the game in your best player's hands. They convert um, a, a short while later. They have another fourth and short, and they kick a field goal. I thought they should have gone for that one as well. But that's, that's one where, like, I can be... It's not just egregious, because, again, it's the opening drive. And if you tell me that... You need to get points on the board and you're taking the lead out of the gate. Like I get all that. So I don't think it's egregious. Again, I I think it's just for me, the amount of respect I have for Kansas city's offense and understanding how difficult it is to stop them. I think you need touchdowns when you have those opportunities and uh, I would have gone for it, but on the opening drive, I do get getting into field goal range and taking the points. That said, I don't know what the hell they were doing the rest of the game. There were two other field goal attempts that I, I just, I, why? What are you, is the, the one at the end of the first half, again, a mind-blowing situation because we had just watched a half of football where even after they fell in a 9-0 hole, Kansas City dominated the Buffalo Bills. And you're talking about a two-possession game and Kansas City's going to get the ball to start the second half and you think kicking a field goal is the right way to do this. Threes are not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You can't kick a bunch of field goals and expect to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, especially in a in a championship game. Uh, I, I just I, I don't know why people get so conservative in these situations. And you know, again, for for the Buffalo coach to go for the early fourth down, it kind of I think gave us all that impression that he was just going to let it fly and do everything he could to kind of close that gap between the Buffalo Bills, who are a good team, and, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, who are a championship team. So I I didn't get the the field goals, and uh, I I just, it's a bad recipe to try and beat Patrick Mahomes and and the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's the stat of the day for you. In Patrick Mahomes' postseason career, he has 63 non-kneel down possessions. So 63 times, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes in the postseason have had possession of the football where they didn't kneel down at the end of the first half or at the end of a game. In those 63 postseason possessions, the Chiefs are averaging 3.75 points per possession. So they're averaging in the postseason more than a field goal. So not only do you not score every single time you get the ball, but when you do have scoring opportunities, you can't you can't kick field goals against the Chiefs. You're not going to win that way. When you kick a field goal, you're essentially giving up that .75 points to Kansas City. So kicking a field goal is actually losing you points if you just go by the averages of what Kansas City does drive by drive in Patrick Mahomes' postseason career. That's mind-blowing. 3.75 points per possession for Mahomes in the postseason. Uh you have to score touchdowns, and uh, I, again, I just I don't know why the Bills just got so conservative after going for it early. But uh, yeah, that's that's just a credit to Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, the weapons with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and you know the the speed that they're able to to give with Hardman 
And, you know, Daryl Williams was really good. Damian Williams was really good a year ago. Obviously, we know what Clyde Edwards-Alaire brings to the table when, when he's 100%. So that Kansas City offense is just, from a personnel standpoint, they're incredibly difficult to match up with. And then you add on on top of that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy being two of the most brilliant offensive minds in the sport. Um, again, I just I, I don't know why why teams like don't approach the Chiefs the way they should, and don't don't approach the Chiefs like you know you're get, they're going to score some points. So uh, the Bills I thought kind of failed in in that department in a really big way. So other things in this game that stood out to me, obviously the Eric Fisher torn Achilles is massive for Kansas City. And, and going back to the NFC Championship game, Green Bay was out without their all-pro left tackle, David Bakhtiari, and you saw the edge pressure that Tampa was able to get with JPP and Shaq Barrett. I mean, those guys dominated the game. And if Kansas City doesn't have Eric Fisher in this game, and they're already without Mitchell Schwartz, the right tackle, um, I th- this is something to keep an eye on. I think this is a huge thing for the Super Bowl, and obviously it's a good thing that Kansas City has two weeks to kind of prepare from a scheme standpoint for this, but um, don't act like this is a small thing for Kansas City. Not having Eric Fisher to, to you know block on the edge against JPP and Shaq Barrett I think is a, a really big deal in the matchup. And, and like I said, Aaron Rodgers was sacked, what, five times, five, six times in the NFC Championship game? They were, they were getting pressure throughout the game, uh, you know, those fourth quarter three and outs were because Tampa Bay was winning the line of scrimmage. So that's a really big deal. Also, you know, we, we saw the chippiness down the stretch. And, uh, you know, jo- first of all, Josh Allen throwing the ball at uh, at Okafor was ridiculous. Like, you're a quarterback. You get special treatment, obviously. Uh, but I I mean, maybe maybe he was taken down a little bit late, but... To throw the guy at a to throw the ball at a guy, I think is just asking for a fight. So I, I mean, you know, from an offensive line standpoint, I like the fact that his guys had his back. And if you're Kansas City, I think you had every right to be upset about it. But um, I guess it wasn't shown on television. But Mike Pereira tweeted that Chris Jones pu- threw a punch, and uh, I've not seen anything more on this today. I just made a note of it after it was pointed out to me on Twitter. Because he's he's one of the elite defensive players in the NFL, and and again talking about the Eric Fisher uh, situation, if you're without Chris Jones as well, I mean that is a that's devastating to Kansas City. So I, I don't know that this will even be a, a thing. I've not even heard it talked about today. Um, generally, the NFL is not going to go dig anywhere that there's not already a spotlight. So uh, unless I just missed it, I don't know if anybody's talking about it. But but the fact that it was pointed out by somebody that's part of the broadcast. Uh, and, and there being a punch that wasn't shown on television is, is interesting for a guy that obviously is going to play a big role in the outcome of this game. So uh, that's another thing to pay attention to. But again, I, I think just understanding how good Kansas City's offense is, understanding what they do and, and just, you know, the numbers game and paying attention to the analytics. Again, I don't think analytics should be the end-all be-all, but you need to be aware of the numbers and the story they tell to give yourself the best chance to win. And uh, I'm sure Tampa Bay is going to be completely aware of the fact that Patrick Mahomes and this offense can score a bunch of points. Um, We'll see if they decide to settle for a bunch of field goals in this game. And and a lot of that will be determined by how well their defense is playing as well. But that's pretty much all I got for the AFC. Again, I thought it was just completely embarrassing for anybody that had a Josh Allen greater than Patrick Mahomes take to start this game. I thought it was crazy. The Bills were kicking a bunch of field goals when you consider the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback are averaging 3.75 points per possession in postseason play. Eric Fisher hurting the Achilles is devastating uh, for the Super Bowl matchup. And uh, yeah, we have, again, just a great matchup with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Speaking of the matchup, these two teams played earlier this season. November 29th, Tampa Bay... Kansas City, the Chiefs won 27-24. It was a close game. Obviously, in the fourth quarter, uh, it was a close game. Kansas City, I remember watching this game. Kansas City led 17-0 early uh, in the first quarter, and they pretty much controlled it the rest of the way. Tampa got two touchdowns in the fourth quarter that made the game a little bit closer than than maybe um, it was throughout four quarters, but... 
the fact that they did get it close, I mean, they had the opportunity to potentially win the game in the fourth. And, and again, Kansas City kind of buckled back in and, uh, and closed it out. But uh, they did meet earlier this year. Kansas City pretty much controlled the game for most of the way. In typical Tom Brady fashion, he had them right back in it at the end of the game. And then, like I said, when, when it kind of felt like Kansas City reengaged, they closed out the game. But both of these guys were exceptional in that game as well. Um, I, th- I think Mahomes, I had, it, I had it up just a second ago. I think Mahomes went for over 400 yards in that matchup. And uh, Brady was over 300. Okay, so here we go. Mahomes in that game went for 462 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Tom Brady went for 345 yards, three touchdowns, and he was picked twice. So uh, there you go. You know, the first time around, obviously, Mahomes was the better quarterback. I think that'll be the case in this Super Bowl. But again, you know, when you consider um, what kind of pressure Tampa can bring off the edge and and not having your left tackle, maybe that gap is is closed a little bit just with the pass rush. So I don't know, but Chiefs beat the Bucs earlier this season by a field goal, and uh, both quarterbacks had pretty jaw-dropping numbers when it was all said and done. So like I said, two weeks, we have an awesome Super Bowl matchup. We have an awesome quarterback matchup. We have, you know, legacy obviously on the line. I, I talked about this at the beginning of the season with Aaron in one of the podcasts. We looked at, you know, games played for Mahomes and what he's already accomplished to this point and just kind of projected forward that, you know, he would have the opportunity if he doesn't get hurt to to be in that same breath as Tom Brady when it's all said and done. And, you know, to win a second Super Bowl and to do it over Tom Brady, you know, from a legacy standpoint, that would be monstrous down the road. So um, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, like, you know, from like I said, from a matchup standpoint, Tampa Bay's edge rush against uh, a Kansas City team that that is going to be without both tackles. Obviously, Mitchell Schwartz has been out for a while now, uh, but yeah, losing Eric Fisher is not a small thing. And then, uh, you know, we'll see what Tom Brady and, and that group of receivers is able to do against the Kansas City defense. So, Super Bowl LV, Super Bowl 55 for those that uh, aren't Roman numeral people. I, I'm not either, but, uh, I and, and to be honest... I knew that L was 50, but I had, I'd forgotten about it. So when they showed the graphic for LV, I, it like, it took me, I was trying to remember what they were. And then they said 55 and then it all came back. But yeah, Super Bowl LV in Tampa, by the way, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the first team that's going to host the Super Bowl, first team to participate in the Super Bowl at their home stadium. So yeah, that's the right way to say it. So anyway, I, I can't, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just geeked about this matchup, and, and I'm really excited to see these two teams match up. And, um, you know, at the end of the game last night, I was just kind of reflecting on, on what Kansas City has been able to do over these last three seasons. Obviously, three years ago, they're, at, they're in the AFC Championship game. It goes to overtime, and, you know, we all understand by this point the overtime rule in the NFL sucks, and we were watching Brady and Mahomes just go at it back and forth, and... Brady got the ball first. Brady scores a touchdown. It was game over, and Mahomes never got his opportunity. And, you know, I still hate that rule. I, I still think, especially in the postseason, uh, it, it needs to be a, a situation where, you know, both teams get an opportunity. Even if one scores a touchdown, I, you know, I know that's the case with the field goal. If the first team kicks a field goal, the second team has a chance to match. I think it should that it should be that way with a touchdown as well. Um, yeah. Also, now that I think about it, I'm not sure if they changed that rule in the postseason or not. I, I probably need to look that up, but if they did, I, I guess I missed it. Um, but I, I hope, for the sake of this game, if, if it were to go that way again, that that, that's, that would be changed. Because, look, I, I, I wouldn't want either guy to not have that opportunity. I mean, we, again, when you consider the legacy of Tom Brady and the legacy of Patrick Mahomes, and if this thing were to go to overtime, like, wouldn't you want to see Tom Brady have that opportunity to match Mahomes or, or vice versa either way. So um, I, again, I don't know if that's been changed or not. If it has, I've completely missed it, but um, I'm fine with the rule being what it is in the regular season. But in the postseason, I think you've got to, you've got to change it up a little bit and uh, let both teams have that opportunity. So yeah, great matchup. Again, two years ago, um, going back to my my thought just a second ago, 
two years ago, AFC Championship game, Brady scores in overtime, goes to the Super Bowl, beats the the Rams in the most boring Super Bowl matchup ever, 13-3. The Chiefs use that as motivation, come back a year later. Last season, they go on to win the Super Bowl, and uh, here we go. We have the, the last two Super Bowl-winning quarterbacks going head-to-head in this Super Bowl, but the run that the Kansas City Chiefs are on made me think about my my granddad, who was a massive Chiefs fan, lived in Kansas the majority of his life, and uh, he he used to call me after big games. I mean, almost every big game that was played, mostly with football and basketball, but um, anytime there was a big game, you know, my phone would ring at the end of it, and, and we would talk about what happened. And uh, like I said, big Kansas City Chiefs fan. And I was thinking about him last night because when Kansas City won and they were doing the trophy presentation, I just, I, I, you know, I looked at my phone and I just, I knew that, you know, if he were still here, he would have been calling. And it just kind of makes me sad uh, that we never got to have the conversations about, you know, these Chiefs teams with Patrick Mahomes because I know he would have absolutely loved to see uh, these Chiefs teams and the run they're on right now. I mean, they are fun to watch and all the success they're having, it's it's really cool. So uh, that was one of those things right at the end of the game that, that just kind of hit me like, man, I, I – uh, I wish we would have had that opportunity to talk about how special these Chiefs teams are with Patrick Mahomes and and obviously the supporting cast and and that coaching staff. So uh, anyway, Kansas City, Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. It's going to be a ton of fun. And finally, let's wrap up with UFC 257 from Fight Island on Saturday night. This was a card I've been looking forward to for a long time. And and look, I think you had two of the most entertaining fighters in the game in the main event. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily, especially like casual fans of the UFC, aren't super familiar with Dustin Poirier, but uh, he's, he's you know, one of my favorite fighters, if not my favorite fighter. Every time he, he is out there, it is an incredible show, and he just lays it all on the line every time he's in the octagon, and, and that's one reason I love him. On top of everything he does outside the octagon, uh, you know, just with his foundation and everything, just... I'm a big Dustin Poirier fan. For that matter, I, Conor McGregor, again, I think when you just consider what he brings to the sport, not only from a fighting standpoint, but, you know, the the spotlight that he's brought to the UFC in general, uh, you know, what he brings from a, from an entertainment standpoint with, uh, you know, everything that he does outside of the octagon and the press conferences and all that, like, Conor McGregor is also good for the UFC, and, and uh, you know, anytime he's involved in something, it's, it's must-watch, so... Super excited about this card for a long time. Uh, I went back and forth on on who I liked. And, you know, ultimately, when we did the podcast last week with Will, um, you know, we both ended up picking Poirier. And I was kind of shocked at how many people uh, just thought this was going to be an easy McGregor win and he was going to cruise through this to, you know, what whatever was next. And I think we all understand that was going to be Habib if McGregor had won. But uh, it... You know, Dustin Poirier is no joke. Dustin Poirier is among the who's who in the sport. And when you look at his resume, he is as accomplished as anyone in lightweight history, Um, you know, with with, uh, wins over Eddie Alvarez and obviously Conor now. But even before the Conor fight, you know, knockout over Justin Gaethje, two wins over Max Holloway. I mean, did anybody see what Max did last, last Saturday? Uh, against Calvin Cater. I mean, Dustin has a win over over Max. Um, you know, the Dan Hooker fight earlier this year was a great fight. Uh, Dustin Poirier, I, I, I just, I think he is uh, as entertaining a fighter as there is in the sport. And I, I saw a tweet that said, I guess 90, I, I want to say it was like 97, 98% around there of the bets placed on this fight were placed for McGregor. Which, again, just kind of goes to show you how McGregor's name is so much bigger than the sport. I mean, you know, for everybody out there that's never watched the watched a single UFC fight, uh, they, they probably know who Conor McGregor is. So, you know, I think from that aspect, he gets a lot of respect because he's, he's you know, a celebrity of sorts beyond just being what he is inside the octagon. But stylistically, I thought this was going to be a fun fight. You know, obviously, this was a, a rematch. McGregor knocked Poirier out in like a minute and a half the first time around. Both guys, completely different situation. Both guys, completely different fighters in this stage of their career. They're fighting in a different weight class than they did the last time around. So 
there were a lot of things about this fight that that weren't uh, similar to the first one in any way, shape, or form. And I think when when it all kind of settled and and we were making our picks and I was trying to figure out which way I wanted to go, because like I said, I, I was torn uh, last week leading up to this fight. I think at the end of the day, it just came down to both of these guys being elite strikers and feeling like Conor McGregor hasn't fought in a year. The last time he fought was obviously the Cowboy fight last January. The, the fight was like a minute long. I, I don't even remember the total time, but he knocks him out with the you know elbows or the shoulder early in the fight. It was game over, but Conor McGregor's octagon time over the last several years is very minimal compared to a guy like Dustin Poirier that has been in there a lot. And I think when, you know, when, when I came down to it, I settled on Poirier because I just felt like when you talk about elite guys, having that experience inside the octagon and, and having gone through as much as Poirier has gone through to me, just prepared him a little bit more for a fight of this magnitude. uh, When you consider both guys being at this level. So I went Poirier, and, and again, I was I was really surprised to see how many people were shocked, like shocked, that uh, that Poirier won the fight. So you know, and and then on the other side of that, you've got the the people saying Conor McGregor's done and he needs to to call it quits and all that. I don't think that's the case either. I, I think that once again, you're talking about two elite guys in the most elite division in the sport. I mean, 155, the lightweight division in the UFC is the most stacked division, I think, in the history of the UFC. You've got like five or six guys that I think if they were in any other era or maybe in any other weight class being as good as they are, you you would consider them to be champions. And, uh, you know, there's this log jam right now at 155 in the UFC. And I, I think, again, it's it's just, it's not a shameful thing to lose to Dustin Poirier Again, when you consider that, that Conor McGregor hasn't been in the octagon much, he only has two fights at 155 in his entire career. That's the other thing. Like, Dustin Poirier has done this a lot. Uh, he's been in wars at 155 over and over and over. Conor McGregor's fought a total of two times at 155. And and look, a year ago is the last time he was even in the octagon, and the fight lasted like a minute. So I just think that Conor McGregor's in a situation where if he wants to be a UFC champion, if he wants to fight the very best out there, especially in that division, then he's going to have to start fighting consistently and, and get back into the groove of MMA. And, you know, if he wants to go do his boxing thing, then like more power to him. You know, there's a lot of money to be made there. So it just depends what he wants. But I, I certainly don't think that we close the book on Conor McGregor. I think that if he were to decide that, being a champ at 155 is what he wants to do. And he dedicates his time to doing that and gets in the octagon and gets some fights. I, I think you'll see Conor McGregor return to being, you know, one of the elite in the division and one of the elite in the sport. But look again, his star power I think is so great that it brought a big spotlight to UFC 257. It brought a big spotlight to guys like Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler who absolutely deserve it. And uh, I, I love the fact that there are a lot of people that maybe are or aren't UFC fans that maybe weren't very familiar with Poirier and Michael Chandler that watched this fight because Conor McGregor or watched this card because Conor McGregor was on it and uh, now know who Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler are. So that that's really awesome. But yeah, like Dustin Poirier, again, I think is one of the most accomplished lightweights in the history of the sport. And, and for anyone to just think that Conor McGregor was going to waltz into the octagon on Saturday night and and just put him down in 30 seconds was just I, I never thought that was going to happen. Although uh, I do, like I said, I do think Connor is still very dangerous. Poirier even said in in the post fight presser that uh, he flashed once when Connor got him with the left. So you know the power's still there, uh, and Connor's athleticism is second to none. So I, I think if he just dedicates time to getting back into uh, into the sport and spending time, you know, focused on that division, Connor's Connor's still, I think, as as big a problem as anybody else. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think it was made crystal clear before this fight with Habib saying he would need to see something special with the conversations about what would bring him back and him making statements that 
competitively, nobody interests him, but a big payday obviously would be interesting. Only one guy can bring that to the table, and that's Conor McGregor. Like, it all pointed to McGregor wins, we get Habib McGregor in what what probably would have been the largest event in UFC history. And I, I did see somewhere that the estimated losses for McGregor not winning this thing are like $50 million. Uh, I, I don't know if that's... Uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. I just, I saw a, a UFC guy that, that obviously knows what he's talking about, tweet that. So, um, it, it was significant. And, and so obviously Poirier wins that card is not out there now with the McGregor loss. You're not going to get the same draw that you would have got. Uh, if, if McGregor would have won, you had the title to the mix in that scenario and it, it would have been a home run for the UFC. So Poirier wins and then Habib basically right after the fight, is thanks Dana White for everything he did and, and essentially calls it quits publicly again. Um, and, you know, I, part of this bothers me because it, it almost feels like if, uh, if, if you knew that it, this fight going one way or the other would result in retirement, it, I almost would have preferred him to say, you know what, this is for the belt and vacate the belt and let that be a title fight. And then if McGregor wins, then you can say, you know what, I'm coming back. And that also sells the thing massively. Uh, That way, those guys still get that title fight on Saturday night because I thought it should have been a title fight. And honestly, like if you look at the division and everything that's happened over the last year or two years and, and the outcomes, like I feel like Dustin Poirier is the lightweight champion right now. You know, it's a vacant championship with Habib retiring and we'll see what happens, and I'll talk about that in a second, but I feel like Dustin Poirier is the lightweight champion right now, so it kind of sucks that the belt was held on to until after that fight, and and knowing that if McGregor had won, we would get a Habib-McGregor fight. It would be number 30 for Habib. It would be the biggest event in UFC history, and, uh, you know, obviously a massive payday. And with Poirier winning, none of that's going to happen, and the title is vacated, so... Uh, that part of it kind of sucks. So also on that card, Michael Chandler knocks out Dan Hooker in the first round. Incredible UFC debut for Michael Chandler, who is the Bellator champion, comes over. He was the replacement in the Habib Gaethje fight. If one of those guys would not have been able to go, he was going to step in. Um, you know, this was a big signing for the UFC. I thought that he was a really talented guy. I also thought Dan Hooker was probably the most problematic matchup for him. Of, of any of the 155ers in a debut situation. And uh, for him to, to KO Dan Hooker in the first round is nothing short of impressive. I think you can make the argument that that's potentially the most impressive UFC debut in history, especially when you consider the opponent and the platform being the co-main event on a Conor McGregor pay-per-view against a guy as tough as Dan Hooker, ranked number six in the most uh, stacked division in the UFC. I mean, there are bullet points on bullet points for why the Michael Chandler debut is maybe at the top of that list. But Dustin Poirier was asked about what's next for him. Obviously with this win, he is in the driver's seat uh, for that division. Like I said, I, I, I consider him to be the champion of that division, but we're going to get a championship fight in some manner. If it were up to me, the fight to make is Poirier Chandler. I mean, that to me is just a no brainer. Um, when you consider the, the following that Chandler's going to get after what he did to Dan Hooker, the first round knockout. Like it's just, that to me is the no brainer. Poirier basically said in his post fight press conference that he, he, well, he guaranteed that he wouldn't fight Michael Chandler next. Uh, and, and he also pointed out, he said no disrespect to Michael Chandler, but you know, this is a division that has a bunch of championship contenders and guys that have, you know, grinded their way to to have these opportunities and that Chandler's fought one time now and, and shouldn't be rewarded with one fight in this stack division with a title shot. So like I, I get it from that perspective. It makes sense. I don't think it's it's crazy to say that a guy like Charles Oliveira who has had to wait his turn in again in a stack division where there are a bunch of guys that I think are championship worthy. Um, you know, I think it's it's a it could be considered a get in line type scenario. So if you don't go Poirier Chandler, which to me, again, is from an entertainment standpoint, it's the fight to make, and I think it's the most entertaining championship matchup you could make. If that's not going to happen, and Poirier, again, if what he said is true when he guaranteed that Chandler wouldn't be the next fight, to me, it's crystal clear what you do next. 
it's Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira for the belt. And then you have Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje fight. And the winner of that gets the next shot. Because again, there are, like I said, so many championship contenders in this division. Let's just go head to head. It's it's a tournament of sorts, but put the belt on the line for Poirier and Oliveira. And then in the other semifinal, Gaethje and Chandler, and then that winner gets their title shot at the, you know, the belt holder, whoever wins, Poirier and, and Oliveira. And then as far as the Conor McGregor thing, um, you know, it, it's interesting because, like I said, I think a bunch of people think that he just needs to be done and that he, he's lost it. I still think he can be a factor. A lot of people point to the Nate Diaz fight, the trilogy fight, and think that's the next route. And and look, the UFC may go that way. I know Nate Diaz has talked a lot, or there's been a lot of conversation about Nate Diaz coming down to 155. And, and Dustin Poirier, for that matter, called out Nate Diaz in the press conference. And it would be a little wild to me if Nate Diaz got a title shot at 155 for the same reason that, you know, Chandler obviously uh, shouldn't based on that same criteria. But... Um, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. It's, you know, there are so many scenarios here. Uh, but, but Poirier and Diaz were supposed to fight, I think, 2019. And that's when Dustin was hurt and, and it didn't end up taking place. Uh, maybe that's the next fight for Dustin. I don't know. The trilogy fight against Connor right now doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I think that'll always be there. I, I think that no matter what happens with Connor in the octagon, you're always going to be able to sell a Nate Diaz trilogy fight. So, like, even if Connor loses again, you know, a year from now, I, I just, I, I think there's still going to be interest in McGregor Diaz based on what we've seen two times around. The fight that, that makes the most sense to me for Connor is Tony Ferguson. I mean, you, if you rewind to one year ago, obviously Habib's the champ, but the next two biggest guys in the division, and, you know, obviously two of the superstars in the sport, Connor McGregor and Tony Ferguson. Since then, obviously, McGregor didn't fight for a year, and then he lost to Poirier. Tony Ferguson was supposed to have his title shot against Habib. COVID happens. The fight can't take place. Gaethje steps in. Gaethje beats Ferguson, and then Oliveira beats, beats Ferguson. You have both of these guys, you know, coming off of L's, and with Ferguson, it's two. So I kind of love the, the McGregor-Ferguson matchup and let, you know, two guys that are superstars in the sport and superstars in the division meet up and you know obviously one of them is going to get back on the right track so that to me makes more sense maybe than anything else and and like I said I think the the Diaz trilogy fight is always there for the UFC if they want to go that route but back to the back to the original topic of UFC 257 Dustin Poirier just another incredible performance uh you know I I think a hall of fame career even if he's never the the you know undisputed champion of 155 I think he's a, a hall of famer just simply based on what he's done to this point and, and how incredible that resume is. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, not surprised at the fight. Will and I last week on, on the UFC Pick'em show both picked Poirier to win the fight. And, you know, again, I think it's just you're talking about two elite strikers in the most elite division, and one of them has been through numerous wars and has so much octagon time on his side. And the other guy uh, has just kind of, you know, had one foot in, one foot out. Um, you know, Poirier just, you can't half-ass it in this sport against the elite of the elite. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to say that, that Connor half-assed it, but you can't be halfway committed to MMA and half committed to boxing, for example, and expect to be on the same level as, you know, a guy like, like uh, Dustin Poirier or, you know, if he were to face a Michael Chandler or a Justin Gaethje. I mean, you know, those, these guys are all championship caliber guys. And you have to be in championship caliber mode if you're gonna if you're gonna beat them. So it was awesome, man. Two fifty seven lived up to the hype. I, I had been counting down the days. Uh, like I said, I I, bo- I like both main event fighters. Both of them, I, I think, are are entertaining guys and and bring separate things to the table. Uh, but it was good to see Dustin Poirier get the. I know he said it wasn't a big factor, but get the revenge for the first fight and, and obviously put himself in the situation that he's in now where he's in the driver's seat of the 155 division. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. When you use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code Colby Show, 
online, abotanicalcompany.com. You save 15% off your online order. So again, go to the website, abotanicalcompany.com, Kratom, CBD, Delta 8, whatever you're looking for. Add that to your cart. When you check out, discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. And, and like I've told you guys a million times, these people are great people and they genuinely care about people and they genuinely care about helping people. And if you have any questions about any of these products and how they can potentially benefit you from a physical or mental standpoint, give them a call 405-458-9699. Don't, don't be shy about asking questions. And you may think something is stupid, but you know what, if they give you the right answer and it, 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 is something that can benefit you and it changes your life. Why would you not take that opportunity? So, uh, there's, you know, there's no dumb question. Um, if, if you, uh, you know, don't, don't know everything about this, uh, feel free to ask them. And like I said, 15% off your online order with my discount code. So, uh, I hope you guys were able to take advantage of that. And again, just great people who, who genuinely want to help people live a better life. All right, everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.